In this article here, from 1969, Bernie proposes that women who don't have enough sex with men will develop breast cancer. He's basically saying, fathers, teach your daughters to be sexually promiscuous or they will die. The disturbing sexual views of Bernie Sanders. Mr. Reagan. All right, now before I get to the disturbing sex stuff, and it's definitely disturbing, let me just say this. Bernie Sanders is a fake socialist. Could be a second title. And there are many out there who will be uneasy with me saying that. It suggests that I'm undermining the potential danger of a Bernie Sanders presidency. And make no mistake, I think Bernie Sanders would be a disastrous president. But he would be no more dangerous than Elizabeth Warren or Pete Buttigieg. In fact, I think if Barack Obama got another eight years, he would be just as dangerous as Bernie. And this is because the candidates are all really about the same. They have the same concerns, the same goals, and the same policy prescriptions to achieve those goals. They all believe that black Americans are oppressed by systemic racism, that climate change is an existential threat, that dudes who dress up like women are actually women. It is man. They all live in a bizarre dystopian fantasy. But it's easy to believe that Sanders is a true socialist, though. In fact, for a long time, I thought he was a full-blown communist, pretending to want Scandinavian-style social programs, when in reality, longing for Soviet-style communism. After all, he did honeymoon in the USSR and visited communist Nicaragua in 1985, inexplicably lauding Ortega and breadlines. But this was all for show. He wants people to think that he's a radical revolutionary, but it's all an act, a pretense. Sanders is simply a standard Democrat who brands himself as a socialist. After all, standard Democrats have all believed in Medicare for All and free college for decades. They just wouldn't admit it. Now that it's more politically expedient, they're all owning up to it. So if Sanders is just an ordinary Democrat, why does he pretend to be a socialist? Branding. Sanders has benefited since the very beginning of his career by branding himself as a radical. He builds popular support by claiming to be a revolutionary reformer, but when he gets into office, he plays ball. His rhetoric is that of a radical socialist, but his actions are that of a standard Democrat. I'll explain all of this in one moment. First, I have to sell you something. Are you broke? Sick and tired of not having enough money in your bank account? Do you want a better financial life for yourself and your family? The prominent Fox News host Bill O'Reilly has made millions investing over the years with his secret weapon. Now, he has never shared this with anyone, but now he wants to share with you his secrets on how he does it. Watch the free presentation at wealthwithbill.com. That's wealthwithbill.com. And discover how Bill O'Reilly plans to help you achieve a seven-figure net worth. Lucky participants will also receive a free hardcover of Bill O'Reilly's new book, titled The United States of Trump. So, enjoy. Now, my claim might sound bold, but I'm not alone in this assessment. William Galston, an expert on U.S. politics at the Brookings Institution, has said of Bernie, he's not a Democrat socialist, he's a social Democrat. Seriously. And according to everything I've read, the citizens of Burlington actually came to recognize Bernie as a typical moderate Democrat politician more interested in working with local businesses than with the people of the town. In fact, the most scathing criticisms I could find of Bernie were from hardline socialists who complain that Bernie is a fake. This is not just my perception. Bernie is a fake socialist. But how does pretending to be a socialist help Bernie? Well, actually, it's quite ingenious. Bernie clearly read up on the political strategies of dictators. Socialist, communist, fascist, and Nazi political dictators 
always end up rich and powerful. No matter what happens to the rest of society, the dictator always ends up with all the money and power. The political strategies of dictators, the tactics and rhetoric that make them popular, these can be adopted by American politicians in order to accumulate power here too. And Bernie figured this out. The formula is simple. Blame the rich and promise free stuff. The cry for socialism is always disingenuous. Since the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in 1917, the first serious attempt at communism on a large scale, it's become abundantly clear that Marxist ideas don't work in real life. The expectation of an effective Marxist state relies on a fantasy about human nature. It completely ignores human motivations altogether. And this leads directly and immediately to an authoritarian state. The boiled down version of Marxism is just this, from each according to his ability to each according to his need. And it's a delightful idea in theory. If the government could accurately assess everybody's optimal ability, you're a great painter, you're a great accountant, you're a great inventor, you're a great factory worker, etc., then they could put everybody in the job that they were best at and enjoyed the most. And then everybody would be able to produce optimal goods and services. It would create an abundance of everything. And if the government could accurately assess everybody's needs precisely, then the government could distribute the wealth produced by this optimal workforce with perfect efficiency. You would have all your basic needs met, including the supplies needed for your job. And the various luxuries produced in this society of abundance could then be distributed equally among the people. The problem is this. Governments are absolutely awful at assessing ability, and they are just as awful at assessing needs. In fact, as it turns out, government tends to be pretty awful at just about everything. Furthermore, Marxism provides zero incentives for optimal achievement. It assumes that everybody will work to his optimal capacity purely for the gratification of the work itself and for the pride of a job well done. But not everybody cares that much about that stuff. Many people, most people, need more incentive than that. And this is where things turn rather dark. Because the government dictates your income, you have no real incentive to work hard, especially if, say, the government has determined that you have the capacity to produce 100 widgets an hour and your coworkers have the ability to produce 12. You will probably start to think, after a while, why am I working so hard? I could slack off and still produce more than these other dopes. Without the opportunity to progress in a career and make more money and get rich, without incentives, Workers have no motivation. And if you have no motivation to work, many people won't. And instead of an abundance of goods and services, you will get a, that's right, scarcity. You will need a new motivation. There are basically two kinds of incentives. Positive incentives or rewards and negative incentives or punishments. The carrot or the stick. If there is no carrot, that only leaves the stick. In this case, the stick would be a Kalashnikov an AK-47. You do not work, you get the bullet to head. <laughs> or you get sent to the gulag. And how well do you think that worked? Think about your own job. Imagine that you hate it and you hate your boss. Do you do your best work for him? Or do you do the bare minimum, just enough to collect your paycheck and not get fired, all the while daydreaming about killing him and burning down the business? Obviously, this was not as effective as the financial incentive of unlimited potential wealth. The incentives provided by free market capitalism are so much stronger. It takes a very basic understanding of human nature and just a bit of common sense to imagine which system is better. But the real problem is that as soon as a negative incentive is required, you immediately stratify a system that's supposed to be completely equal. 
from each according to his ability to each according to his need, disintegrates as soon as you give a small percentage of the population guns. Suddenly, this group has enormous power over the rest of the population. And so you see, there is no such thing as true communism as imagined by the socialists. True communism is what we saw in the USSR. It's what we see now in Venezuela. It's an authoritarian state subjugating the people. And almost everyone in the proletariat end up dirt poor. Socialism is appealing to some people in the free market because free markets create wealth inequality. There are very clear hierarchies. This seems unfair. They ask, if there's so much wealth created in America, why can't we poor people have more of it? The beauty of capitalism is that you can. But the problem with capitalism is that you've got to work for it. You have to be smart or skilled or dedicated or hardworking. And not everybody is smart or skilled. And not everybody is willing to be dedicated or to work hard. And so some people who prefer to be lazy or feel entitled to wealth without effort because of some egocentric view of the world, these people are drawn to socialism in a free market economic society. I can get free healthcare. I can get free college. I don't have to work for anything. I'm not required to be smart or skilled or to work hard or to be dedicated. <laughs> Great! But there's an even more sinister problem with a socialist dream than just freeloaders. You see, the poor in America aren't really poor. In America, if you're poor, you probably drive to work and you use 2005 Honda Civic. In the USSR, if you were poor, you starved to death. The Bernie bros that are diehard true believers in socialism, they don't realize that socialism doesn't create equality by bringing them up. It creates equality by bringing everybody else down. And it doesn't just bring everybody else down to their level. It brings everybody down far below their level. And the truth is, you probably know all of this. Every politically educated person knows all of this. It's pretty much common knowledge. And so in this context, one question has always plagued me with regard to Bernie Sanders. Why the hell is he a socialist? He can't possibly believe it's a better system. He's not a complete idiot. He's not utterly ignorant. So what's the deal? Bernie Sanders is a fake socialist. He doesn't really believe any of it. He just figured out that if he criticized rich people and if he promised working class Americans free stuff, he could accumulate power. But to really understand what's in Bernie's head, we have to go back even further, back before he figured out how to win elections. We need to look back into Bernie's past and consider why, maybe, he was drawn to socialism in the first place. Now, you've got to understand that in the 1960s, being a political radical wasn't unusual. Being a political radical was cool. It had the sort of cachet that coming out as gay has today. It meant to young people and to the left that you were a bit better than everybody else. So Bernie becoming a radical in the 1960s wasn't really that odd. He was really just on trend. To an awkward guy like Bernie, appealing to the misfits and radicals of the socialist movement in the 1960s, that was probably the only way that he could be popular. And a lot of people are deeply motivated by being popular and being well-liked. And I suspect that Bernie was desperate for this kind of attention. Also, in the 1960s, much like today, if you want women to sleep with you, but you're not a very attractive or charismatic guy, and you're, you're not successful or talented or particularly bright, and if you have no interest in improving yourself in order to attain any of these things, one surefire way of getting women was to become a left-wing political activist. You see, left-wing ideology promotes ideas of sexual liberation, and they especially did so in the 1960s. Bernie Sanders was all in on that idea. I don't think it's too hard to imagine that Bernie probably wasn't that great at getting girls when he was younger. He was once described by a fellow University of Chicago student this way. 
he wasn't terribly charismatic. It's my theory that attracting women was probably very important to Bernie. This is important to most teenage boys and guys in their 20s, and guys who struggle with this tend to obsess over it. Some are even driven insane by it, truly. I think this may have been something that Bernie obsessed over. In college, Bernie joined the Young People's Socialist League, the Congress of Racial Equality, and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. You hear actors say this all the time, and I'm not criticizing Bernie for it, actually. I think that it's a perfectly natural motivation, but I do think that he joined these groups primarily for the women. Now, you might be thinking, well, you're trying to read Bernie's mind. You can't possibly know what he was thinking. But actually, I do know. Because Bernie Sanders has provided us with astonishing access to his early political and philosophical thoughts. In the 1960s and 1970s, Bernie Sanders used to write articles expressing his irrational Marxist ideas. These articles were published in a variety of publications and are available today by combing through that marvel of the information age, the internet. In this article here, from 1969, Bernie proposes that women who don't have enough sex with men will develop breast cancer. He writes, The manner in which you bring up your daughter with regard to sexual attitudes may very well determine whether or not she will develop breast cancer, among other things. He's basically saying, Fathers, teach your daughters to be sexually promiscuous, or they will die. All right, so in this same article in which he proposes that women will die without lots of promiscuous sex, Bernie writes, How much guilt, nervousness have you imbued in your daughter with regard to sex? If she's 16, three years beyond puberty and the time which nature sets forth for childbearing, and spent a night out with her boyfriend, what is your reaction? Do you take her to a psychiatrist because she's maladjusted or a prostitute? Or are you happy that she's found someone with whom she can share love? Are you concerned about her happiness or about your reputation in the community? Bernie Sanders is saying that a girl of 13 is old enough to have a child and therefore fathers should be super happy if their 16-year-old daughters are sleeping with their boyfriends. I'm sure all the fathers of young girls watching this are totally cool with that idea, right guys? Sounds totally legit. Nothing wrong with that at all. He then goes on to write, Now, if children go around naked, they're liable to see each other's sexual organs and maybe even touch them. Terrible thing. If we raise children up like this, it'll probably ruin the whole pornography business, not to mention a large segment of the general economy, which makes its money by playing on people's sexual frustrations. So, in Bernie's view, society should encourage toddlers to play with each other's genitals in order to eradicate all sexual curiosity in them. Because of this ingenious plan, when they are older, the kids won't be interested in pornography. I'm not sure where to start with my criticisms. There, there are so many objections to choose from. So instead of exploring the philosophical ideas behind sex and nudity and modesty and self-control, let's just ignore the naked toddlers fondling each other part of Bernie's thesis and go back to the bit about 13-year-old girls being ready for sex. And if they're not encouraged by dad to go out and sleep with dudes, they will die of breast cancer. Let's go back to that part. <laughs> now, this sounds suspiciously like a guy who's desperate for girls to sleep with him, but who finds that women too often resist him. Think about it. If fathers would just stop telling their daughters not to have sex with every guy who asks them, Bernie would have had a much easier time of it. Remember, Cenk Uygur, one of Bernie's strongest supporters, once expressed this when writing about his inability to convince women to sleep with him in Miami. He wrote, It seems like there's a sea of tits out there, and I'm drinking in tiny droplets. I want to dive into the whole goddamn ocean. He then goes on to write, 
Obviously, the genes of women are flawed. They are poorly designed creatures who do not want to have sex nearly as often as needed for the human race to get along peaceably and fruitfully. So Jen Uger thinks that if women aren't willing to sleep with him, there's something wrong with them. Curiously, I think just the opposite. If women are willing to sleep with Jen Uger, there is seriously something wrong with them. He's also written, I tell girls all the time about my cool job at a TV station in hopes that will trick them into sleeping with me. Wow, what a cool guy. And he also wrote some rules for dating. Rule one, there must be some serious making out by the third date. If I haven't felt your tits by then, things are not about to last much longer. In fact, if you don't get back on track by the fourth date, you're done. (laughs) The poor girl. Rule number two, there must be orgasm by the fifth date. What a charmer. I'm shocked that women were so reluctant to sleep with him. And according to a staffer at the Young Turks, Jenk hasn't changed a bit. The staffer commented, he's obsessed with body count. Basically, how many people you have effed. This is an important number to him. And at this point, you might be saying, whoa, 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 that's Jenk Uger. You can't pin that on Bernie. And you're right. You're right. I can't pin that on Bernie. However, Bernie did write his own insane rantings back in 1972 in a short story called Man and Woman. Now, I found this story so repugnant that I actually called a friend to read it on the show so that I wouldn't have to. But upon learning the content of Bernie Sanders' story, he refused. In fact, everyone I asked refused. So I will, very much reluctantly, read this vile story from Bernie Sanders. Uh, I really don't want to read this. I've entitled it Bernie Sanders' Rape Essay. All right, the story is dated mid-February 1972, Vermont. Man and Woman by Bernie Sanders. A man goes home and masturbates his typical fantasy. A woman on her knees, a woman tied up, a woman abused. A woman enjoys intercourse with her man as she fantasizes being raped by three men simultaneously. The man and woman get dressed up on Sunday and go to church or maybe their revolutionary political meeting. Have you ever looked at the stag, man, hero, tough magazines on the shelf of your local bookstore? Do you know why the newspapers with the articles like Girl 12 Raped by 14 Men sell so well? To what in us are they appealing? Well, I think for most of us, it would be the disgust at the levels of depravity that a human mind can sink to. But that's just me. Women, for their own preservation, are trying to pull themselves together. And it's necessary for all of humanity that they do so. Slavishness, on the one hand, breeds pigness, on the other hand. Pigness, on the one hand, breeds slavishness, on the other. Men and women both are losers. Women adapt themselves to fill the needs of men, and men adapt themselves to fill the needs of women. In the beginning, there were strong men, and they killed the animals and brought home the food and the dependent women who cooked it. No more, exclamation point. Only the role remains, waiting to be shaken off. There are no, quote, human oppressors. Oppressors have lost their humanity. On one hand, slavishness. On the other hand, pigness. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. Who wins? And to be honest, I don't really follow this 100%. Many women seem to be walking a tightrope now. Their qualities of love, openness, and gentleness were too deeply enmeshed with their qualities of dependency, subservience, and masochism. Really? Okay. 
But how do you love without being dependent? How do you be gentle without being subservient? How do you maintain a relationship without giving up your identity and without getting strung out? How do you reach out and give your heart to your lover but maintain the soul which is you? Those are all, I think, actually pretty fair questions. And men. Men are in pain too. They are thinking, wondering, what is it they want from a woman? Are they at fault? Are they perpetrating this man-woman situation? Are they oppressors? The man is bitter. You lied to me, he said. She did. You said that you loved me, that you wanted me, that you needed me. Those are your words. They are. But in reality, he said, if you ever loved me, or wanted me, or needed me, all of which I'm not certain was ever true, you also hated me. You hated me, just as you have hated every man in your entire life. But you didn't have the guts to tell me that. You hated me before you ever saw me, even though I was not your father or your teacher or your sex friend when you were 13 years old. Or your husband. You hated me not because of who I am or what I was to you, but because I am a man. You did not deal with me as a person, as me. You lived a lie with me. You used me and played games with me. And that's a piggy thing to do. It's, I mean... I may be wrong, but this sounds a lot like Bernie Sanders tends to think of women as man-haters. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Elizabeth Warren should use this as a campaign commercial. (laughs) And she said, you wanted me not as a woman or a lover or a friend, but as a submissive woman or submissive friend or submissive lover. And right now, where my head is, I balk at even the slightest suspicion of that kind of demand. And he said, you are full of shit. And they never again made love together, which they had each liked to do more than anything, or never saw each other one more time. Okay. Bernie Sanders is unquestionably a total creeper. As a writer of fiction myself, there is something that is very striking about this short story. And what's striking to me about it is that it is terrible. So basically, there's two reasons why a person might write a short story, okay? The first reason is to express some kind of brilliant narrative idea. Let's say that you want to write about some kind of sci-fi thing that nobody's ever written about that you think is a really cool idea, or a mystery, or some kind of romantic idea that that you've never really seen in writing before. Uh, You know this will be entertaining, there's... A beautiful twist. There's all kinds of uh, interesting things about the story. You want to get it down because you think that it has value in terms of entertainment or in terms of extracting some kind of an emotion out of the the reader. The other reason that you would write a story, in my experience, is that you want to communicate a philosophical idea or some kind of personal idea that you have about the world or about life. And sometimes you do both. Okay. Now, with this particular story, there is nothing in it that I find particularly novel. There, in, in the sense of, there's not really a plot twist. There's not. There's no interesting, unique thing that happens that you couldn't read in a lot of different stories, right? The basic story is that there's a man and a woman. They obviously are in some kind of a relationship, and they have a kind of an argument, realizing that neither of them are particularly good for each other or really love each other, and then they break up. They never see each other again. It's such a very, very basic story, right? Man-woman relationship, man-woman break up. It's such a basic story that it seems to me 
like it's Bernie Sanders' expression purely of his own ideas about women and relationships, right? This is his idea about men and women. That's why he calls it man and woman, I, I think. That, that seems to be what's going on here. I could be wrong. Maybe Bernie Sanders really does think that this is a fantastic story. I don't think so. I don't think anybody could find this fantastic. It's more of a, an intellectual exercise, an exploration of the psychology of women and the psychology of men and their sort of twisted ideas about sexuality. The thing is, one thing I find interesting about certain writers is that they will express ideas that maybe people don't talk about that much, but are universal. Like if you read Dostoevsky, for instance, Dostoevsky writes about human vulnerabilities, especially about relationships, and they're incredibly relatable. You read this and you think, wow, yeah, I think probably lots of people think like that. And um, it's, it's, you, you can feel kind of emotional about it because you connect to it. And then, and then sometimes you get writers like this who think that, okay, well, if I have these thoughts, then lots of people probably have these thoughts and they're probably going to relate to it. But see, I don't think that that's necessarily true in this case. I do think some people probably have thoughts like this. That, they're, that they find the concept of a 12-year-old girl raped by 14 men appealing. Um, but I don't think that's true about most people. I think that most people find this fascinating because it's horrifying, right? People find the depths of depravity that hum, human minds can sink to to be interesting and curious. But they don't relate to it necessarily. They don't, they don't find it appealing, I wouldn't say. Um, so I think that this is... I think that this is Bernie Sanders' sort of expression of his own psychology, of what is going on in his own mind. That's what I think. Anyway, you might think differently. Please feel free to disagree with me in the comments. All right, now let's get back to politics. I never really understood why Bernie Sanders was a communist. I mean, it's clearly a political philosophy that doesn't work. But it actually makes a lot of sense when you consider that the far-left political ideology promotes sexual liberation. If you want to get a ton of girls but you can't seem to attract any... It makes total sense to adopt a sexually liberal political philosophy and join those groups. This may actually be a big reason why there are so many Bernie bros. They, too, find that socialist girls are more sexually liberated. Bernie designed the template, and the Bernie bros are following it. And one more thing that everybody should consider. Bernie targets young people. Consider his voting base. They're all like... 18 to 30. These are the most easily manipulated voters. They're malleable and they are intensely passionate. These are the same people targeted by cultists. Consider Hitler. Many people think of the Hitler Youth as like the Nazi Boy Scouts. But this was not some single organization with a few children of Nazi zealots sending their kids to the Nazi club after school. There were all sorts of Nazi youth organizations. There was the National Socialist School Children's League, the National Socialist German Students League for university students, the League of German Girls, and the Faith and Beauty Society. Hitler understood that molding the minds of young Germans and creating loyalty and support with them was critical. And here's another odd coincidence. The Nazis encouraged premarital sex between boys and girls in these youth groups because these groups were pure Aryan groups. And getting your Aryan women pregnant was considered a progressive virtue. Approximately 900 girls between the ages of 15 and 18 returned home from the famous 1936 Nuremberg rally pregnant. The Bolsheviks in Russia, the revolutionaries who turned Russia into the socialist hell that was the USSR, they too were a youth movement. And again, who do cultists tend to prey on? 
Charles Manson, Jim Jones, they prey on young people, teenagers, and young adults. And then consider the base of support that Bernie has. And consider the department that he added to the Burlington city government as soon as he was elected into office. It was called the Mayor's Youth Office, but we'll get into that in a moment. After looking through all these weird ideas of Bernie and considering one of his probable motivations for joining in with the communist movement in the 1960s, getting girls, it makes one wonder, was Bernie ever really a believer in socialism at all? Whatever Bernie's motivation, it's clear that his views on sex and perhaps his very nature is extremely disturbing. Leftists give conservatives a hard time because Trump hasn't been a great husband. He's been married a few times and has been unfaithful. Okay, that's a fair criticism. The man is certainly not perfect. And I know that leftists don't really care about how responsible or loyal their candidates are with their private lives, but let's have a look at Bernie's history as a comparison to Trump. What I'm about to read is not from a particularly controversial source. It's from Wikipedia. In 1963, Sanders met Deborah Schilling Messing in college. They got married in 1964 and bought a summer home in Vermont. They shared no children and divorced in 1966. In 1969, Sanders had a son, Levi Sanders, from girlfriend Susan Campbell Mott. In 1988, Sanders got married to Jane O'Meara Driscoll, who later became president of Burlington College. So, gets married, divorces his wife, has a kid with his girlfriend, leaves her, and then marries another woman who, as far as I can tell, he's been loyal to ever since. So, perhaps not as scandalous as Donald Trump in terms of his married life, but certainly not beyond reproach. Now, Bernie's disturbing sexual views are certainly concerning. I don't really want a president who believes sexual modesty in 16-year-old girls causes cancer or that toddlers should be encouraged to sexually experiment with each other. However, to many Bernie supporters and other leftists generally, these kinds of views aren't really all that concerning. I can hear my detractors screaming at their phone screens right now, what does any of this have to do with his ability to run the country? Okay, well, let's put aside the possibility that a far-left American government could legalize child porn, statutory rape, all kinds of other things that we find reprehensible as a society. Let's move on to something even socialists will find appalling, and that is Bernie's complete and utter deception about his man-of-the-people brand. Bernie has been lying to his supporters for years. Now, I know I said this earlier, but I'm going to say it again. From the research I've done, I'm not sure Bernie is actually a socialist at all. Socialism is his brand. If he actually became president, would he actually pass Medicare for all? Would he actually try to make university free for all Americans? I doubt it. I'll go through the evidence in a moment, but the primary case for his unwillingness to apply his socialist rhetoric is his time as mayor of Burlington. When he was mayor, Bernie didn't act much like a socialist at all. His top ally was an obscenely rich millionaire. We're talking hundreds of millions. He tended to side with business over people, and he defended a GE weapons plant against protesting hippies. He also employed a variety of schemes to enrich himself. He seemed to abandon all of his socialist principles in exchange for practical, democratic governance. And honestly, I think that's great, but it doesn't seem to jive with the Bernie brand. And that's the point I'm trying to make here. The Bernie radical socialist brand is one that's been good to Bernie. He's gotten women out of it, political victories, wealth, popularity, and power. Being a socialist in America isn't usually particularly beneficial to people, I don't imagine. But to Bernie, it's been great. Even if Bernie did realize, upon gaining power for the first time as mayor of Burlington, that socialism would never really work in America, I don't think he could have stopped being a socialist. It was too helpful to him. It would be like if I suddenly realized that Republicans are all criminals and Democrats, they're all the good guys. No matter how convinced I was of this, no matter what my principles, 
It would be difficult for me to switch. I've grown an audience. I have supporters and loyal fans. I've built an entire business around being a conservative. Switching would be difficult for me. It would be easier just to keep pretending that I was conservative and make enough money to feed and clothe myself. I don't think I could do that personally, but I don't think Democrats are that principled to begin with. And I think Bernie faced just this kind of dilemma. Once it became obvious that socialist ideas were simply impractical to implement in Burlington, Vermont, would he reel back the rhetoric? Of course not. The brand was too lucrative. He had to push forward, and that's what he did. And that got him into the Senate. And now he's the frontrunner for the Democrat nomination for president. Being a socialist is, ironically, a lucrative brand for Bernie Sanders in this capitalist republic. But maybe this is precisely the kind of socialist Sanders is. He brands himself as a socialist and sells it as a redistribution of wealth to the people. But real socialism ends with a thin sliver of society hoarding all the wealth. And the rest of society lives, yes, equal to each other, but only because everyone is just scraping by, barely surviving. And the socialists who implement this kind of government, they know this. They know they will never have to endure the equality of the proletariat. They are the ones who make it happen. They deserve a little more. They're just a little bit more equal than everybody else. Rules for thee, but not for me. It's the ugliest kind of hypocrisy. We saw this hypocrisy last week when some guy called Hank Thomas shot this photo of Bernie sitting in first class. Really socialist of you, Bernie, sitting in first class like one of the proletariat you claim to support. This illustrated a truth about Bernie, which is that he's what's called a champagne socialist. A champagne socialist is one who brands himself as a man of the people, but who actually lives a lavish, ostentatious lifestyle. And again, I can hear my detractors screaming into their phones, but Bernie doesn't live an ostentatious lifestyle. Doesn't he, though? The man has three houses that he bought for $500,000 each. Do you know how many houses I've bought for $500,000 each? Zero. That's how many. Do you know how often I fly first class? Never. I suspect that Bernie always wanted to be rich. If he's a smart Marxist, which he seems to be, he would have realized, even at the very beginning of his political journey, that the wealthiest politicians in the world are not representatives of the people in a free republic, but oligarchs in an authoritarian state. You see, Bernie isn't interested in being part of the proletariat himself. He wants everybody else to be equal, and then he gets a little favoritism for setting up your equal world. He gets to be a little more equal than everybody else. And Bernie and his wife have developed a variety of schemes to get rich over the years, to push themselves into that 1%. One of Bernie's favorite claims is that he doesn't accept donations from large donors. He claims that he has millions of tiny donors, two and a half bucks here, 89 cents there. He constantly shouts about how his average donation is $18. I don't go to rich people's homes to raise money. We don't have a super PAC. But our contribution is, average contribution is all of $18.50. Your brother has really kind of broken the mold. He's raised yep. a large amount of money from very sort of small, uh, small dollar donors. Why do you think he's had such success in that way? Well, I think it's, it is that he is a very honest person. But what if that's a lie? What if Bernie's been lying about that since always? That would say something about Bernie, I think. That would say something profound. It would indicate, I think, that perhaps Bernie doesn't really care about being honest with his supporters. I've heard it said that young men are motivated by sex and that old men are motivated by power. Perhaps Bernie's motivation has shifted. 
A deception like this, a deception about something so fundamental to his professed principles, would indicate that he's more interested in accumulating power than he is shaping the country by those professed principles. And because of the tireless research of my source, Dick Jackman, I can tell you without equivocation that Bernie Sanders has absolutely been lying about his small donors. Here's how it works. Many Bernie Sanders donors are rich. They donate the maximum legal amount to his campaign, but they do so in a series of small donations so that it looks like at first glance that the average donations are much smaller than they actually are. If a donor gives $2,700 once, their average donation is $2,700. But if he gives $27 a hundred times, then his average donation is $27. But nobody would be that crazy, right, to waste time giving to a candidate that many times just to help him lie about the average amount he gets per donation. And I would agree with you if I didn't have proof. Now, this information comes from my superhero investigator, Dick Jackman. Follow him on Twitter for dirt on all your favorite leftist scum in Washington, D.C. The man is truly a brilliant investigator. According to Jackman's calculations, in the three-month period he analyzed... Large donations to Bernie's campaign were split into 10 to 49 separate contributions by over 14,000 donors. Large donations were split into 49 to 99 separate contributions by over 400 donors. And large donations were split over 100 times into 100 separate contributions by at least 60 of the donors. That is a lot of work to make Bernie look a little bit more like a man of the people. This is a massive coordinated effort to reduce Bernie's average amount. They've had to convince donors to inconvenience themselves by donating a bunch of times instead of just once so that Bernie can go out and shout $18 per donor. $18.50. You've got to admit, his supporters are passionate if they're willing to go along with this ridiculous scheme. But that's all it is, a scheme. And I'm explaining it to you so that you'll understand Bernie is a showman. He's promoting a brand that's not real. More concerning is Bernie's influence by special interests. Bernie rails against special interests. He said that no one who accepts donations from special interests could possibly not be influenced by them. Now, I know that every candidate who has ever received special interest money always says that the millions of dollars they receive will never influence them. Never, never, never. Well, the American people need to ask a very simple question. If these contributions from powerful special interests have no influence over the candidate, why are they making these huge contributions? He claims that Everyone who accepts money from special interests is corruptly influenced by these donors. And he clearly accepts money from special interest donors. From May 2003 to 2019, Bernie raised $1.83 million from PACs, labor unions, and other special interest groups. This is the breakdown of special interest donors and how much they've given to Bernie. It's hard to see how Bernie could respond to this criticism. The, The best he can do is to say, well, everybody is influenced by special interests, Everybody except me, of course. I'm different. Sure you are, Bernie. Sure you are. Another concerning campaign finance issue is Bernie's history of accepting donations in excess of the legal $2,700 per person. Apparently, Bernie's campaign collected well beyond the legal limit $1,000. 
500 times. According to Russell Berman of The Atlantic, that is unprecedented. Most of these overages are a couple of hundred dollars over the limit, but some are excessive. Shia LaBeouf, for instance, gave twice the legal limit, and in two cases, the Bernie campaign accepted donations that were over $10,000. That is way over the legal limit. Now, I'd like to go back to the small donor lie for a moment, Bernie's small donor sleight of hand. It's all about optics. Bernie just wants to say that he gets $18 per donor. He wants you to believe that he's a man of the people. It's kind of a stupid lie if you ask me, but there it is. But I do want to be clear that this really is just optics. As far as I can tell, nothing more nefarious than that. Bernie gets far less big donor money than the absurd amounts that have been given to Biden or Buttigieg. But here's the thing. Neither of them consider the rejection of special interest money a core value of their political philosophy. Neither of them brag about small donors constantly in speeches and in debates. This is a major selling point for Bernie Sanders, and it's an enormous lie. The hypocrisy and lying doesn't end there, however. Bernie also likes to play up the idea that he's a poor schmuck, one of the poorest guys in the Senate, except... He's not. As I mentioned before, he owns three houses, each worth about half a million bucks, and he flies first class. This is perhaps not as ostentatious as Elizabeth Warren's hyper-polluting private jet travel, but still a far cry from the schmuck he pretends to be. And the truth is, Bernie flies private. Okay, he does fly private. We have pictures. And Bernie always used to criticize millionaires and billionaires. But this has shifted to simply billionaires in recent years because he himself has found that his net worth tipped the scales at well over $2 million. But the criticism has always been that the rich people, they don't need to be so rich. It's unfair that the rest of us have these scoundrels hoarding treasure and that the rest of us live off crumbs. And he also blasts greedy corporations. If one didn't know better, it sounds like Bernie believes that the highest class of success in America is a pure evil one. Except, Bernie may not actually believe any of that. This may all just be the Bernie show. It may bear no resemblance at all to how Bernie actually feels, or at least how he acts. One of Bernie's closest allies since the early days as mayor of Burlington, Vermont, has been the Pomerleau family, headed by Tony Pomerleau, a wealthy real estate developer. Pomerleau died in 2018 without ever revealing his net worth, but he has acknowledged that it was well over $100 million. Sounds like just the type of guy that Bernie would hate, that he would rail against. But he didn't rail against Pomerleau. In fact, he worked with the Pomerleau family in a variety of ways. Peter Schweitzer explains all of this in detail in his new book here, Profiles in Corruption. I highly recommend this book, as well as his previous book, Secret Empires. These are both phenomenal reads and extremely enlightening. Bernie's corruption began immediately after he was elected as mayor of Burlington. As mayor, Bernie immediately created a new department in the Burlington city government. It was called the Mayor's Youth Office. I mentioned it before. And guess who he hired to coordinate this department? Well, he was dating a girl at the time named Jane. Did the mayor's office advertise this new position to qualified potential candidates? Of course not. He just gave it to his girlfriend. He created a job that the government had to pay for, and then he gave the job to his girlfriend. That's basically just stealing money out of city taxes. Unless, of course, Jane was successfully performing essential city duties that benefited the people of Burlington. But forgive me if I'm a little skeptical about that. This Jane girl would eventually become Jane Sanders. And after they were married, Jane inexplicably got a huge raise. Concerns were voiced within the city government at the time, but nothing was ever done. Bernie also created another department called the Community and Economic Development Office in Burlington. 
and the job heading up that department was also given away to a Bernie companion. This time, it was to Bernie's good friend, Peter Clavel. During his tenure as mayor of Burlington, Bernie ran the city like a true capitalist. There was nothing socialist about Bernie at all in practice, only in rhetoric. Bernie espouses the virtues of socialism simply for political and personal gain, and then he acts as a pragmatic Democrat once in office. In 1985, in Burlington, General Electric had a massive gun manufacturing plant. The factory produced a gun called the Vulcan Gatling Gun. These are those massive guns on the sides of helicopters that obliterate entire villages full of people. Now, Bernie is famous for supporting the Occupy Wall Street protesters. Well, we talked about the Occupy Wall Street protesters. One of the folks with him and another ally in the Mattis Hell narrative, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. I think what the protesters are doing in New York and across the country is extremely important. In fact, some might say that his support of the Occupy Wall Street movement is what initially sparked his 2016 run for president. But... Fascinatingly, Bernie stood against the protesters of the gun factory in Burlington in 1985. This was how the incident was remembered by one of the protesters. I vividly remember Bernie standing arms folded alongside the right-wing union officials from the factory and the Burlington Police Department as we were being arrested. He falsely insinuated that we were anti-worker and he refused to have any serious political dialogue with any of us activists. At the end of the day, I think Bernie was a sexually frustrated kid who got caught up in the radical left trends of the 1960s. He used the techniques of brutal dictators, criticizing the rich and promising to give stuff away, and starting youth organizations to gain popularity in Vermont in order to get elected as mayor of Burlington and then as senator. Labeling himself a socialist has only been beneficial to Bernie. It's allowed an otherwise unremarkable guy to stand out as something different, something special. His decades of consistency have been perceived as an indication that he's principled. But consider what he's been principled about. Criticizing the wealthy and promising free stuff to the working class. The propaganda techniques of dictators. And Bernie Sanders is only consistent with his rhetoric, not his actions. Bernie thinks sexual modesty in young girls causes cancer, and that toddlers should be sexually explorative in order to curtail future sexual frustrations. Here's what I think about Bernie. He's a typical Democrat. Democrats have no core principles. They have selfish motivations and intentions, and they just say what they think will get them elected in order to stay in office. This is Bernie Sanders. Bernie doesn't really care about the little guy, and he doesn't care about America. Bernie cares about Bernie. And his egocentrism has finally started to pay off. He's now the frontrunner in a U.S. Democrat primary election. It's amazing. Will Bernie win it? I don't think so. But you never know. It's not impossible. If Bloomberg splits the moderate vote with Pete Buttigieg, Bernie might emerge as the Democrat nominee. In the general election, Bernie would get killed. I imagine in the general, he'd ditch a lot of his hard socialist messaging, and we'd see a much more pragmatic policy approach by Bernie, at least rhetorically. But I really don't see him as competition for Donald Trump. None of the Democrat candidates are. But it's been one hell of a life for Bernie Sanders. He's dogmatically followed a very specific political strategy, and it's worked very well for him. Just remember, socialism doesn't work. Nothing is really free. And the free market, capitalist republic in which we live, this great experiment we call the United States of America, this is the safest, freest, and most prosperous country in the history of the world. And remember, it's not that our socialist friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. Good night. The principles of wealth creation 
transcend time, people, and place. Governments would deliberately subvert them by denouncing God, smothering faith, destroying freedom, and confiscating wealth have impoverished their people. Communism works only in heaven where they don't need it and in hell where they've already got it. 